Okay. Um, first of all, it's good to see everyone. Thank you for coming. My deepest apologies about the timing. It's just a typical day of war. I was up last night in the hospital at Code 1. Took my son back to the Army this morning. And then then Preshivakov. So let's see. Trifecta. So I apologize. I tried to make it as quickly as I could. Okay, uh, but it's good to see everyone and to share a little Hanukkah to our in particular. And I apologize if I ran through some people in the hallway. I was just trying to make it in here in time as quickly as I could. Um, a little bit of Hanukkah learning that's unrelated to Shabbos, Chaf Beis, or Chaf Aleph through Chaf Dalet. Those are um, over, oversaturated topic. And we all learn about Persimonisa and Shasanisim and Hanukkah and the beautiful, beautiful Sugyas. But there's always a, a, an attempt to try to tease out the Sugyas and Shas that speak about Hanukkah that aren't in Shabbos. So of course, we all know the Sugya of Babakama and Gamaltan Pishta and Edmonton Bikurim about Bikurim being able to be brought to the Evet, maybe via Nukari to Hanukkah. It's a nice time to give a Shirim Bikurim in the middle of the winter, Arami Oviravi. But there's a beautiful Sugya in Avodazar. And um, how long do we have for Yonatan? We have till 12. Have till 12. Okay, so beautiful Sugya in Avodazar. Uh, the sugya starts with, I think, only I asked one of my Talmidim this morning from the car to reproduce the entire Gemara because I didn't think you'd have time to prepare for Seder. But the context of the Gemara is very fascinating, very sad, very second base Amikdash centric. Then, in the beginning of the second base Amikdash, in the days of Shimon Atzadik, which is about 200 years before Hanukkah, so let's call it roughly 4th century BCE, this is really the first Greek Jewish interaction. Shimon Atzadik confronts Alexander as he comes to conquer Yushalayim. And the Shamronim, who are the sworn enemies of, the, of our people, of the, the central rabbinic mm-hmm. leadership, so they try to foment and incite Alexander against the, uh, the reigning establishment. And Alexander actually gets off of his chariot and bows down to Shimon Atzadik and shows him courtesy. And everyone's shocked, like, what are you doing? This is a Jew. This is an old man. He says, this is the person who comes to me in the dream before every one of my military victories in Persia. And I'm going to show him honor. And in fact, he then ends up ends up redirecting his anger at the Shomronim. And you really have to see Hanukkah as a 300-year experience in which Greeks, Athens, and Yerushalayim are coming into contact. The children of Yefes realized that truth, because they were looking for truth, was not only cognitive and rational, but was prophetic, as the Kuzari says, and they had to travel south to Yerushalayim to receive truth from the children of shame. They couldn't crack truth, sell them through Plato, Aristotle, and, uh, and Socrates, who lived, of course, a couple hundred years before the Hanukkah miracle, and that's why they wanted to interpret and translate the Torah 100 years before Hanukkah. So Hanukkah was just a military flare-up. This is where the cultural encounter really blew up and became violent. But it was a three, 400-year period in which we influenced Greece. Remember, a lot of the early Christians were Greeks who had a lot of Jewish customs. They kept, kept half Shabbos, they were partially Jewish because of the Hanukkah influence. And had we not defeated Greece, the world would have been much less monotheistic and much more paganistic and much more polytheistic. And Hanukkah is just one chapter in that episode. It's a chapter in which HaKadosh Baruch led us to our victory over the Greeks. So around the time of Shimon HaTzadik, not just in his time, but he had two children, and they got into a bit of a tiff as to who would succeed him. So one of Shimon HaTzadik's sons, the Gemara Menacho says, was a person named Chonyo. And Chonyo ran away from his brother, to Egypt, and he built a parallel base on Mikdash in Mitzrayim. <laughs> so this is really the first, uh, the first breach of the base on Mikdash is not the Yavanim, but a couple hundred years earlier when a parallel base on Mikdash is constructed in Mitzrayim where he takes refuge. And he wears a machlokis, what's his kavana for Avodah Zarah, or what's his kavana, L'shem Shemayim. So, 
Right. So if it's Kavana, it's Rav Odazara, then of course everything involved in that Beis HaMikdash is Zaser, because it's Tikra Rav Odazara. But if he was Hashem Shemayim, he made a fool of himself, etc., but Chazal made a Takana that the Kohanim from that Beis HaMikdash could not then return and serve in the proper Beis HaMikdash. And this actually is a really fascinating source from Mechlokas and Shulchan Aruch, whether a Kohen becomes a Meshumat, and then he's a Balchuva Kini Duchen. So let's say Kohen was a Meshumat, this is the source of the whole conversation. Is he Maos Legavoa or not? The Gemara claims that at least the people of Konyo could not then return to the Beis HaMikdash proper, at which point the Gemara says, what about the Kalim? What about the Kalim? Is it fair to penalize the Kalim of Beis Konyo? Let's say someone were to bring, because he built a Beis HaMikdash to scale in Mitzrayim, let's say someone to bring some of those Kalim back to Eretz Yisrael, the Gemara Beis, the Gemara says, did they make a on the Kalim? The Kalim are not technically Asr, because it wasn't about Azara. Is there a Gzerah That leads to a scavenger hunt in the Gemara. And in Beis and in Beis, can we find other cases where the Kalim weren't really Asr, Minatara, but Rabbanan made them Asr anyway? That's the setting for our Surya. Can we find parallel cases where Kalim, inanimate, no free will, are not really Asr, because they weren't Asr in Beis Chonyo because it wasn't about Azara? Can we find other situations where Kalim weren't halachically Asr, but were still uh, banned Midrabanan because they were associated with Avodazara or Avodazara like experiences. That's the context of the Gemara. Those of you who know the Gemara, the Gemara considers the Kalim of Achaz, Chizkiah's father, who had utilized them and redeployed them for Avodazara. Sounds like from the initial reading that Chizkiah gave instructions to use those Kalim, and he didn't give instructions to use the Kalim. At which point, the Gemara and Avodazara, Nun Beis and Mabeis, circles back to the Chashmonaim. This is our conversation. The Gemara says, Nun Beis and Mabeis. Lema Messiah. Let's bring a proof that Kalim, that are not really Usser, can still receive a rabbinic injunction against using them because of the following Mishnah Midas. Beis Hamoked was one of the quadrants in the Azara. And in that quadrant, there were, three, there were four different hallways associated with the Beis Hamoked. That's where they kept a lot of the materials for the fire. So the Mishnah in Midas says, Mizrachis Tzfonis, the northeastern chamber associated with Beis Hamoked. Baganzu, I hope you have it here. Baganzu, right? Yeah. Okay, starting up. It's which line is it? It's no, it's the first makar. It's uh, three lines from the bottom. So the Chashmonayim buried the Avdei Mizbeach sheshiktsu an sheyavan. I'm Ravashi sheshiktsu lavodas kochavim. Evidently, a lot of the activity was not just around the menorah, but about the mizbeach. And they had all these stones that were dislodged from the Mizbeach, deconstructed from the Mizbeach, and were used for pagan worship, for polytheistic worship, to worship Zeus, to worship Apollo. And essentially, the Chashmonaim returned with all these stones, and they had nothing to do with them. They couldn't use them for the base on Mikdash, so they had to bury them and rebuild the Mizbeach. So it's fascinating. There were really two, as we say in Hebrew, two Mokdim on Chanukah. One was the Menorah, the miracles are on the Menorah, and one was the Mizbeach that they had to reconstruct. So they reconstructed the Mizbeach, and they hid these abused and and contaminated stones. Now, the Gemara says, um, Amra Papa, so, so the Gemara's proof is, these stones couldn't possibly be halachically aser, because the stones belong to Hektish. If the stones belong to Hektish, who cares if the Greeks use them for Avodah Zarah? We have a principle of Einadim Osadav So it's despicable, it's horrible to imagine, but in a pure halacha calculus, these stones could have been replaced into the Mizbeach, because they're not halachically aser, because if a guy takes my item and worships Avodah with it, and yet, the stones were buried. So evidently, even in the absence of a biblical 
Min HaTorah prohibition, because Veina the Mosa Damashena Shalom, Rabbanan still banned any Kalim that had any association with the Vodazara from being utilized in the base of Mikdash. And by association, we can then assume that they made the same decree for the Kalim of Beis Chania. The Kalim of Beis Chania warned us from Minatara because it wasn't a Vodazara. The Kalim, or the stones of the Mizbeth that the Yavanim utilized weren't Asr because Eina the Mosadavashena Shalom. If the stones of the Mizbeth were buried, and evidently there's an Issa Rabbanon, that Issa Rabbanon probably pops up with the Kalim Beis Chania as well. That's the Gemara's Sushel, the Gemara's Association. So at this point, the Gemara feels that there is a Rabbinicus, or there is a Xerid Rabbanon, even in the absence of an Issa Deraisa. At which point the Gemara responds and says, No, Amr Papa, Hasam Kraashkech Vidarsh. Don't infer anything from the Chashmonaim. It's a special case. They found the Pasuk in Yechezkel Perak Zion. Dachsev Uboba Pritzim Bechililuch. Pritzim will enter the base of Mikdash and desecrate. The word desecration sounds like the stones have some Isser de Oraisa. And you can't prove that even in the absence of an Isser de Oraisa, there's Xerid Rabbanon. The stones that were buried were Taka Asum and Atara. That's why they were buried. Very, very cryptic Gemara. We know the problem, we don't know the solution. The problem is, how could these stones be Asadir Isa? Ainadim Osadavashaino Shalom. Must be an only there was only an Isadrabana. Sorry, they were buried. The Gemara retorts, no, no, no. There's an Isadar Isa because of a Pasik. So Rashi introduces the first hint of the solution. Rashi writes, Sikhsiv Baba Pizza Mikhilua, it's source number Rashi and the Nidi Baba Pizza Mikhilua. Mikhilan Shinichnisu of de Kochavim Lahekal. Yatsu Kelov Lachulin. That's the key line. Yatsu Kelov Lachulin. All the clan Mikdash lost the Hektish proprietary. The ownership of Hektish dissipated. Yatsu, key line, Kelov Lachulin. Ah, once the Kelim became Chulin, the Chiva the Nafki Lachulin, Kaninu Behefkera. The Greeks that picked up those stones were Kona. They were Kona from Hefker because these stones were now Hefker. They then acquired ownership. So going to Rashi, it's a two-step process. Step number one, the Kalim lost their bias. Hektish owned the Avnei Mizbech. At a certain point, they no longer owned them, and the Avadim became Hefker. The Avadim then raised these stones, were Kona them, through Hagbao, Kenyan Yad, you could say it's not Kenyan Yad, it's probably Kenyan Yad, they were Kona them, they became their stones, and you can ask their stones that are yours if you worship them with Avodazar. What Rashi doesn't describe is how were the Yatsalakulin? Once the Yatsalakulin and Hektish ownership vanishes, then finders keepers. And the Yavadim found them, kept them, and used them for Vodazar. But how exactly were the Yatsalakulin? Rashi doesn't explain. So this leads to a really fascinating conversation amongst three very, very different Rishokin. Okay, we'll see what the Tashbit says. We'll see what the Marit says, and we'll see what, how the Rambam probably read it based on a chuva. So this is all under the category of Rashi. We'll then jump from Rashi to the Balamor and jump from the Balamor to the Ramban and the Ravid. So three different shitos to explain how these stones became Asr and Torah based on this puzzle. Again, Rashi's mechanism is they were Hefker. Once they're Hefker, they were owned by the Yavanim. Once they're owned by the Yavanim, then Adam Osadab Shavushala. So the Tashbits, um, source number three, as a very, very long tshuva, extremely long tshuva, very sad story, and it repeats itself throughout history. What happens if the Gentiles ransack, steal the Sefer Torah, hijack the Sefer Torah, destroy the shul, lay claim to the shul, and then 100 years later, Jew buys it back from them? The Gentiles realize they have no use for it. So Ruvain lost it to the Goyim, and then a couple years later, Shimon bought it back. 
What status does the shul have? Is it kadosh? What can you do in the shul? What can't you do in the shul? Who owns it? Who has to buy it? Very, very, very complicated question. It's actually not the Tashmuz. Tashmuz is talking about something else. Remember, Tashmuz is talking about... Don't we have a, a precedent to the fact that there was um, uh, the, the, the Hanah Mikdash in the time of the Tashmuzayim? If you're using the principle of Shimon buying it back, doesn't it obviously have a process which you can make that shul tar again? No, they didn't use the Kalim of Hanya. They didn't, they didn't use the Kalim of Chanya, so you know, we can't use Chanya as a model. I, I apologize, the Tashpetz isn't talking about that. He's talking about whether a guy is mafkia, yesh kin, v'akim, v'yisel, v'kia, v'dish, v'yisel, v'yisel. He's talking about how the Kenyan of a guy affects Kedusha in agricultural elements, and then he swims over to our conversation. Tashpetz is, of course, we know him better as the Rashpetz, of Shimon Semach ben Duran, um, 14th century, uh, oh, I'm sorry? North African. North African, actually, if I'm not mistaken, he starts in Spain, and in 1391, as we know, the Spanish Inquisition did not begin in 1492. The Spanish Inquisition began in 1391, the terrible riots in 1391 that basically obliterated hundreds of Spanish communities. And he then runs to North Africa, to Algiers, and he becomes very friendly with the Rivash, Ibn Yitzchak Barsheshes, who, of course, was forcibly baptized during these riots in Spain and actually took on a Spanish name and then also ran away to Algiers and became... Um, they, they didn't talk about that story too much in Algiers. And the two were very close and they had a little bit of a falling out. Um, the Tashbits, the Rashbits, was very, very educated. He learned with the Talmud of the Ran, and he was not just one of the biggest Talmud of his day, but he was a doctor, as well as a philosopher, a mathematician, so one of the classic, classic figures of the great golden era of Spain, literally towards the end of the era. So the Tashbits, he's actually very well known as giving one of the first defenses for Kola. Right? So wherever Yala Weiss is, he'll like this Tashbits. Because the Ram says, you're not allowed to make any money off of Torah. You're not allowed to pay your teachers. You know, everyone in this room. So one of the Tashbits' defenses against the Rambam is, yes, that would be the ideal situation. But today, if we don't pay our teachers, no one's going to teach Torah. And Rambam's describing the ideal. We're describing the practical measures. Anyway, so the Tashbits, in his initial conversation, Tshuva, Azesh Shebeshaz HaChurban, Paka Kedusha Again, I didn't get a chance to look at the Makaras. I think he is talking about the situation I mentioned before, about the two Bata Knesset <laughs> that were destroyed by the Goyim. So initially he says, Shebishas Achorban, Paka, you know what? Yeah, okay. I'll start with the Tashbits. Paka Kedusha Shtei Bata These two Bata Knesset that were taken over by the Goyim, they lose their Kedusha during the moment of Chorban. Shafilu Bebeis HaMikdash Ekdusha Sa even the base Hamikdash, which is more chamor than a shul, Amrin and Perak Bishmal, source three, line two, Shekim Shenichnesubakum Hufka Kudushaso, Mishin Dekrashikafidarsh. This is his first shot. We'll get back to the first shot a little bit later. I apologize. I want to take a look at his final shot, and we'll go back to his second shot. His final shot, he says, source three. Let's say you would argue and say that there is no automatic vanishing of Kedusha. How do you explain the Gemara? Line number two, paragraph two, source three, the Kra. That's the key line. According to the Tashbits, you know how the stones became Hefker? Because when the Jews saw the Goyim entering, they were Mafkir of the stones. It's a very interesting Mokimta. We don't have any historical record of that. Nor is there any reason for it. Why, if you're a Jew in the base of Mikdash when the Greeks are invading, why would you be mafia the stones? What would that serve as? 
Like what halachic goal or other goal are you accomplishing by being mafkir the stones? And would they have to No, the gizbar can. The gizbar can be mafkir. But he's obviously responding to Rashi. How are the stones yotze l'chulen if not for a maise hefker? So there has to have been a real maise hefker, which... He could have done it, but why would you do it? And he was at Stuka. And he was, he was later also. He was 100, he was 100 years old. Yeah, no, he's after. Sorry, quarter of the Maccabees version, but Maccabees, take Maccabees. But. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm just saying the same thing that we just said. It's a question that's going to happen afterwards. No, but anything, Allah, it's not reduced because then become a voter's daughter because they know the most of the Stick to your guns, <laughs> retain bias, and they can't answer it. That's what I said. At this point, right. you're. Anyway, I just want to show you how difficult this Rashi is. I don't think this is the correct shot, but this is how difficult Rashi is. That the Tashbits is even raising it as a possibility. The two more traditional approaches in Rashi is what the Tashbas raised a minute ago, the Maharit also raises, and then the Rambam has a, has a bit of a, a bit of a slightly different adjustment. In the beginning of his comments, the Tashbas says, and I read it before, Shebishas hachorban paka kedusha shtei These two batekinesios, I guess in Algiers or Spain, probably Spain, were taken over by the Gentiles. He received questions all over the world. These two children were taken over by the Gentiles. They lose their kedusha when they are destroyed. I'm reading That's his line. The Gemara doesn't say that. Namely, the Pasuk in Yecheskel is Xeris HaKasav, that when shuls are destroyed, they lose their Kedusha. When Mesa Mikdash is destroyed, it loses its Kedusha. The Kedusha of the Beis HaMikdash is associated with its standing and functioning. Without its standing, I don't know if the Rambam would agree with this, based on how he views Kedushas Arabais. We'll see the Rambam a little bit later. He has a little different version. But the Kedusha of the Beis HaMikdash, based on the Pasuk Ubar, is dependent upon its functioning. Once it's destroyed, it? What? It, let's say uh, it's destroyed by Israel. Same, same issue, same difference. We no longer have Kedusha according to the Tashbits. Not according to the Rambam, but the Tashbits. Then in the end, he circles back and says, well, maybe I'm wrong, maybe Shultz have enduring Kedusha, and they were mafku the stones, and that's what Yotz said. But the whole bit of Kedusha needs to be destroyed, do you understand? No. Any element that's destroyed loses any its Kedusha. Element, any element that's destroyed. Destroy the Mechulah. What? Destroy the Mechulah. Destroy. Why Why he uses it? the word Chorba. Look at that. Shabbat 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 no, that's the Gemara. That's Rashi. He's just quoting Rashi. If they would just walk in for a visit and walk out, it wouldn't affect the Kedusha, but the Chorba would. Right, but it's some level of Chorba. The Maharit exaggerates this Tashbits. Of course, the Maharit isn't quoting the Tashbits. The Maharit is 200 years, about 100 years later in Tzvat. The Maharit is the son of the Mabit, Ben Yosef the Trani. Uh, he also has a very, very hard life. Tzvat has, as you know, many different plagues and... and um, Epidemics during those years, he has to move from Tzvat to Mitzrayim. So this is the mid to late 16th century, and then he has to move from Tzvat uh, to Yerushalayim at one point, where he's actually more healthy than living in Tzvat. And at some point, the situation becomes so dire that they send him to Kushta, to Constantinople, to collect money. He becomes a Shadar on behalf of the community, and he becomes, of course, the Rav Rashi of Kushta, and he dies in Constantinople, where he's buried, and uh, he becomes one of the one of the Gedolei Hador Maharit. And so he gets a lot of chuvas. Well, he gets a chuva that's similar. And in one of his chuvas, he has a slightly different version, which is much more extreme. He says, "Atshumatzelam mikra." Source four. Uba brapitzim bechinulua mikivin shabal liyad akum nasechulim. 
non-Jewish ownership eliminates the Kedusha, empties the Kedusha. Not Chorban. Kedusha and Gentile ownership are mutually exclusive. Once the Gentiles own it, I mean, it doesn't mean own it in a Kenyan way, once the Gentiles take over, even if they don't destroy it, then they can't be Kedusha, which to me has very, very deep philosophical um, consequences. It basically, when we say, we didn't just publicize Hashem's name, but we reinforce Hashem's transcendence. Kedusha doesn't mean holiness, Kedusha means transcendence. Hashem is beyond, he's indescribable, he's unknowable, he's unfathomable. He's Kadosh, 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 Kadosh. And we are the only religion throughout history that has steadfastly maintained purebred monotheism without any physical image associated with Hashem. This was a different story, we'll talk about it now. But So the defeat of the Greeks was a defeat of attempts to continue to humanize or, or, uh, or convert Hashem into human terms. And the Kedush of the Beis HaMikdash, once it falls into Gentile hands, not a punishment, but Gentile religions cannot possibly capture the Kedush that we defend, that we assert. So once it's Biyad HaAkum, it loses its Kedush. The Rambam has a slightly different version. It's quoted in the Chuv of the Shittim HaGobetes. Shittim HaGobetes is quoting a very similar Chuv as a Rambam, source number five of Mitziah. Sheila Misha Kanu Min HaSholalim. If you bought from people who, uh, what's the word for that? Looters. You bought Svarim, Sifrei Kodesh and Looters, like Satvate Knesia Shem Medinos. Im Nomar Shekana, does the purchaser acquire ownership? Oh, Im Nekafea Lekichasa, let's force him to return it to the original owner. Im Nomar Shilakachamedabalkacha, even if we allow the person to retain ownership, but we force him to sell it to the original owner, how much does the original owner have to pay, if at all? So the Rambam answers, Tshuva, Im Biza. According to the Ram, it's not just Gentile ownership, nor is it Chorban, it's Shlal. It's whenever there is legalized looting, whatever that means. And look at the Ramam's language. In Biza Zu, So it's not ownership, it's Biza. Let's say a guy were to legally acquire the Shul, it wouldn't lose its Kishinisha. What? Crystal Nath would be a perfect example. Right, right. Mitzvah Samel, right. There's always the, uh, always the scourge of anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is always a two-headed monster, right? There was the Bob and the pogroms, and I can't stop them, and now we have to protect the Jews by creating Crystal Na- uh, by creating Nuremberg laws because to protect them and make them separate because we have to protect them from the mob, so of course we have to. So it's always this double, double-headed approach to, uh, you know, wild, chaotic violence coupled with legislation upon legislation upon legislation. So, here you've got three different versions for Rashi, and I want to summarize. There's a common denominator. How did the Abnei Mizbech lose their kedusha? Either because they were placed into a state of korban, tashbits, first level of the tashbits, not the pollution. I'm ignoring the fact they were mafkir because I don't think that's uh, the simple pshat of Rashi, or gentile looting, or even gentile ownership. Right? The, mo- the most extreme one is any gentile ownership. That's the merit. Least extreme one is looting. Looting happens without korban. The middle, the the the, uh, the most extreme is korban. Has to reach a state of korban to lose its kedusha, which is the original tashmitz. Now, all three of these positions take the following assumption in Rashi. This is crucial. We're not going to have time to delve into it, but it's an important halacha concept. Once the abdim is back, lose their kedusha, either because of ownership, looting, or korban, then once they lose their kedusha, then the legal ownership of Hektish, the Bailus, also vanishes. You could say, great, the Avadim lost their Kedusha. The Shul loses its Kedusha. You can eat in the Shul. You can turn the Shul into a movie theater. Sefer loses the Kedusha. You can use the cloth for whatever you want. 
but it's still owned by the original person. The assumption they're all taking in Rashi is that at least when it comes to Avnei Mizbeach, there's a famous, famous question here in Chaim, the Bailus of Hekdesh is totally in the Kedusha. And once the Halacha Kedusha is emptied, the Bailus falls apart. Because you can split the two and say there's one they called legal ownership and there's one they call Shem Hekdesh, which, which influences the certain Halachas of this. This is Chaim's famous question which he articulates through the prism of Paraduma. There are essentially two different models for hektish. There's one model of hektish where the shame hektish is the primary identifier and the bilus is the consequence. There's one form of hektish, typically Kiddush's Bedekabais, in which the bilus is the primary anchor and then the status of hektish is the consequence. So here Rashi clearly says, according to all these interpretations, unless you assume like the second level of the Tashbis, that they were Mamash Mafkir, they directly, frontally eliminated the Bailus. But it sounds like, because Rashi doesn't talk about Kedusha, right? Look at Rashi, he doesn't mention the word Kedusha. Rashi just says, okay, How are they Yotzeh L'chule? So everyone's filling in because the Kedusha was assaulted, the Kedusha was emptied. Once there's no Kedusha, the Kleishares, then there's no Bailus. Once there's no Bailus, the Yivanam Kedbikona. It's essentially a three step process, not chronologically, but logically. Number one, the Kedusha was compromised. Once the Kedusha was compromised, the Bailus uh, is eliminated. Once the Bailus is eliminated, then the Yavadim Kipikona, and then worship of Odazara and Asa the Kalim. Yes. Can you stretch this to, taking, to saying that once it's Makir the Hektish, the Bailus goes back to the Makdish? <coughs> I mean, if I were to say something is Kadosh for the Beit HaMikdash, mm-hmm. and then Baal Praktik the Lua, so then I become the owner and I, in theory. No, Hektish was the owner. But Hektish only owns it because it has an orientation for it to be used in the base of Mikdash. Once that orientation, the Kedusha, has been lost, then the Bailus disappears. Hektish has but no it, legal... It disappears to, to nothing. nothing. Right. But Hektish doesn't have any legal bank account, as far as Klisharis is concerned. Hektish's monetary hold on items is, is anchored in the ability to use those items and the Kedusha that reflects that ability. Once the Kedusha is lost, you don't have the ability. Once the Yud in modern Hebrew, once the orientation and the Telos and utility for Hektish is compromised, then there's no Bailus. That's all within Rashi. So why would they have had to bury it? Well, that's the Gemara's next question. That's Gemara's next question. Why would, you couldn't really do anything with it, so they buried it. Okay? No, the Gemara's answer, I'm sorry. The Gemara's answer is because there is no Hekedusha to it, and because the Gaim were it, and because they used it to worship Zeus, it was a Vodazar. They buried it because it was a Vodazar. They didn't want anyone using it. They didn't want anyone using it. It was stones. They buried it. Why did they burn stones? And so they buried stones. <laughs> Easier to burn, bury them than to burn them. Okay. This is all she found in Florida, the case of the Tashkis. The two shows were in Mallorca. Mallorca, you're right. And the Goyim came with swords. I think Ravetan can probably correct me. I think in Mallorca was relatively moderate because that's what we're looking at a fortress or something. I don't think the riots were as severe in Mallorca, I think, but they were spared a little bit so they could recover from that. Anyway, this is the first branch of the tree. The three branches of the tree. The first branch is Rashi. The problem with Rashi is then what do you really learn from the Xeris Akasif? 
it sounds like this was an exceptional case. It was something unique here that led to the uh, to the ability of these Gentiles to ask for something which wasn't theirs, despite the principle of Ein the Moses of Shalom. The Gemara responds with Xeris Akasa. How could the Gentiles prohibit these Kalim? Ain't the Shalom. Must be there's not what's in their eyes, there's only an Issa Rabbanan, and then we can associate the base Chonya. The Gemara says, no, there's a Pasuk of Barbara Pizza Mechilua. According to this version of Rashi, there's no Xeris Akasa. This is an extenuating circumstance. Typically, we know that when Goyim plunder, when Goyim capture, when Goyim destroy the base of Mikdash, the Kedusha disappears. Once the Kedusha disappears, the Bailas disappears. Once the Bailas disappears, whoever picks it up is Khan and Kebeoser. Maybe according to Rashi, we learn from this Pasuk, this principle, that when the Goyim plunder, own, or destroy, the Kedusha disappears, that the Kedusha disappears once the priests and once the Goyim come and capture it. But it sounds, this is a little bit of a tension in Rashi. Sounds like in Rashi, this is not an exceptional case. It's a normal halacha. We, right, all that we showed him are deriving from Rashi applications to non-based on Mikdash shuls. So the problem is, why does Gemara quote a Pasuk when it seems like Rashi's just giving us a normal classic mechanism to allow for Kedusha to vanish, Bailus to disappear, and then for the Gaim to be Konit. The Balamor has a very, very sad shot. This is one of the saddest shots, and I really think this is... Uh, one of the tragedies of Hanukkah, not a tragedy because it ended up with triumph, but the Balamor says that the mechanism for removing the Kedusha and thereby the Bailus, because once Kedusha is lost, the Bailus is also lost, the mechanism is not the mechanism of Rashi through the avenue of Hefker. According to Rashi, we're working through Hefker. Rashi actually uses the words Kaninum Hefker. Somehow we have to reach Hefker. Once it's Hefker, whoever picks him up is Kona. How do you reach Hefgar? Okay, either they're Mafgim or Forest, like the second shot of the Tashbits, or once the condition is lost, the balance disappears and it automatically becomes Hefgar. But according to Rashi, we work via Hefgar. According to the Balamor, we don't work via Hefgar. We work through the principle of Meila. Meila doesn't work through Hefgar. Meila is halacha that when a person gets illegal pleasure and legal benefit from the Dever of Hekdish, so one of the byproducts of Meila is not just the Yisr and not just the Karban. One of the byproducts of Meila is that the Chavit is Yotzele so Me'ila is a Kedusha and, of course, a Bailus remover. That's why we have a, prin- that's why we have a principle, Ein Mo'al Achar typically. So if someone is Mo'al in a Dover of Hekdesh, let's say I take a beam of Hekdesh and I abuse it for my own personal use, and then Shimon comes and uses it, Shimon is in Mo'al. Because once I've been Mo'al, I've removed the entire shame Hekdesh, including the Bailus. Me'ila is a complete deconstruction of Hekdesh. So it doesn't work through Hefka. You don't stop off on, the, on a pit stop of Hefka. I've made it Hefka, now you can be Kona. Me'ila is a complete Hekdesh eraser. By illegal use. The problem that Balamor has is ain't meal of Akram. There is no din of meal by a guy. So, how could the Pritzim remove the hektish slash bailus status through the mechanism of meila? Ain't meal of Akram. And he says something really sad. Let's read it together. Yeah, exactly. And he says, let's read the case. Mishumhachi, it's Rikhalele, Repapa, source six, three lines in the bottom. So just take a moment to imagine the tragedy, the pain of fighting the Greeks, battling their elephants, completely outnumbered, trying your best to restore and to protect, and all of a sudden you've got a fifth column operating within your own ranks, or entering the base of Mikdash, and rampaging, and defiling, and serving pagan gods, or ancient gods. 
And to me, at least, I'm sure there are people that are more astute historians here, I think this is really one of the first times in history that we had to face Jewish defectors. Not only in our past, but it's trying we never have Jewish defectors. Um, are they defectors or they just have a, have a nice Jews? No, I, 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 mean, I mean, Jews who become part of the other team. Yeah, Jews but they weren't necessarily fighting on the side of the Greeks. They were running yeah, the right, but they were undercutting our agenda. Yes. Right. Yes. 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 To make this yes. context, yes. they are. Yeah. I, I don't know of a, of a scenario before the Hanukkah battle well, that we face. I know of many after. Sadly enough. What? What? But they operated within the Jewish... Experience. They may have been of the Avodah but they're not they're not aligning themselves with the enemy. Even the Hellenistic guys, soon they came in with the Greeks. They didn't come in by by themselves because they would be outnumbered. They entered with the Greeks. They were the Kapos, so they were. They were they were the Greek. They were the Benedict Arnolds. They were the traitors that were assisting. They were running the Belgian Dutch at the time. The Hellenists. Yeah, you know, it's a very sad Balamor, but it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Essentially, this is a one-off experience, and that's why you need a Pesach, in which Yechezkel forecasts, He's not describing halacha, he's describing a tragic scenario. According to Rashi, he's describing halacha. That once the Goyim plunder, own, destroy, then the Kedusha is lost. Where's it going? And that's a Chiddush. And once the Kedusha is lost, it comes seven, what's that? Whereas according to the Balamor, just describing this as, we don't need the Pasuk to teach us the Allah. We know that you can come to me. That's the first Pasuk. He's just describing, Yechezkel's prophesizing what will happen, and then again, there's an Isu Daraisa, because the Jews perform Meila, the Hellenists, the Pritzim. Once they perform Meila, it lost the status of Kedusha and Bailus. Once it lost the status, then of course, the Yivanim Rakona, or the Yivanim Rakona, the Jews themselves, once they use it to worship, these are no longer Avna Hekdesh. Now, I'll just very, very quickly discuss the Ramban because we have run out of time. Right. But yeah. well, that could be the pasuk, be the response. Baba Pritzim Bechilas is not in Sheyavan, the Mishnah is not Davka, Midos, it's Baba Pritzim Bechilas, Mokrash, Midarish. The Ramban's basic response to Balamor, this is what makes the Ramban and Balamor globally interesting beyond the context of the Sugya. The Ramban says, you're right, that moral is Motzi Davar Lechulin, but only by Kedushas Bedek Abayas. By Kedushas Mizbeach, Klishares, we have Allah Yeshmol Achar Mol Beklisharis. So if Reuven's Marl in a behemoth, that's a medicine carbon, and then Shimon takes a ride in the same behemoth, Reuven's Mila hasn't removed the Kedisha status from Klisharis. That's one of the Chaim's Chilukim between Kedisha's Hekdesh and Kedisha's Gagof and Kedisha's Berakabais. So this Abne Mizbayach says the Ramban, they're Klisharis. If they're Klisharis, then the Meil of these Hellenists would not have removed the Hekdesh status and would not have rendered them Hefter. This launches a famous, famous question. Are the Avne Mizbeach considered klisharis? Right? I know what a klisharis is. I know what a wall is. What's a Mizbeach? Is a Mizbeach a clay? Or is a Mizbeach part of the base of Mikdash? That's an important question. If it's a klisharis, it would be Moalach Ramal, and the Balamor would be wrong. If it's part of the base of Mikdash, it would be Vedekabayas, and the Balamor may be correct. And the second level to this question is, well, even if I call Avne Mizbeach a klisharis when they're part of the Mizbeach, what happens when you take a stone out of the Mizbeach and it's no longer part of the klisharis? Does it retain its klishari status when it's no longer part of the kli that has utility? So this is what the Balamar and the Ravana are known for in the world of Kutchin. Arguing about the definition of klisharis surrounding the Balamar's assumption that Adam is back were not a klisharis, hence the first Mila would have removed the Kedusha Bailas and allowed the Yavanan to be Kona. The Ramban takes him to task on that, and that's really how this Mechlokas explodes. Basically, the Ramban Pshad, and we'll read this, and with this we'll conclude. The Ramban Pshad is, it's a Kiyar it's a one-off situation. Let me say it in more philosophical terms. 
Okay? All the Rishonim are trying to explain this phenomenon through classic halachic experiences. Could it be that when the base of Mikdash is desecrated, there are extra halachic phenomena that occur, and you can't explain them through the halachic, the classic halachic mechanisms. That's what happens when the world goes dark. That's what happens when the world falls apart. It's a fascinating philosophical question. Rashi, the Marit, the Tashprits, the Rambam, the Balamar, trying to say, how can I find halachas in Shulchan Arach, in Shas, that accord with Mesechus Menachos and Mesechus Vachim to explain this phenomena of the Greeks defying the base of Mikdash and turning it into... And the says, no, it's Xeris HaKasa. There's situations when our system is so broken and so assaulted that there are new one-off mechanisms of halacha that can't be compared and can't be adduced or extracted from the classic halachic systems. And I think it's, a, it's an important question. Like, how do you view korban? And how do you view the halachic system? And how, can there be? So let's just read the Ramban, because I think it's larger than the Ramban. And the Rabbi says the same thing. Zeris HaKosif, source number seven, hakol. Afel bishay mila bekarkos. Ramban has another problem. Not only is there a mila, by Klisharis, or with the Me'il and not remove Hektish, but the, the Mizbech is considered Karka. Maybe yes, maybe not. Ain Me'ilah Be'Karkos. You get Mo'on Karkos, last line. Ve'afo bisha'ina b'nei Me'ilah, v'hainu d'chsiv nami, v'nesati k'os t'pasak immediately beforehand, z'ayin chafalef, v'nesativ b'yad hazarim l'vaz, v'l'rishnei ha'aretz l'shlal v'chi l'lua, or to read the Ravid on the next page, sh'arei natna l'mtara li'asram k'ilu ha'yashelahem, sh'arei asam k'shelahem Alatara, the next piece in the Raiva, this is from the Kasim Sham. Nasnalem koach lagoyim lechalal klishasam kilo hein b'nei meila avul Yisrael lanasin koach lechalal b'hem of a klishas. Hakadosh Baruch Hu, when he destroys the Beis Hamikdash, empowers goyim to create halachic realities that don't normally exist within the universe of halacha during normal times that normal times of functioning Beis Hamikdash. And he gave them the koach. Some of you may hear. Famous Gemara and Psachim, Shnei Dvarim Einim B'shusah Shaladam, V'asan Akasav Ki'ilu Hein B'shusah, which also has a little bit of an extra halachic tone to it. You don't own a bar, you had your chai. If you don't own a chametz because it's Asar Bana, you have a bar, you have a bar, you have So Kodesh Baruch Hu can create extra, no, it's extra legal, it's part of halacha, but extra normative tracks to halacha, and suddenly we would imagine that when the base of Mekdash is being desecrated and assaulted, I don't have to look for, I was thinking about this the other night, just I'll share with you my current thoughts when I have a little time, this whole conversation about, um, <coughs> about Kiddush Hashem and where the soldiers that die are really dying on Kiddush Hashem. And the Holocaust, and if you parse it purely halachically, then of course, the, someone in the Holocaust didn't make a decision, therefore, in the pure halachic considerations, it's in Hedger Naindalit, they're not people who died on Kiddush Hashem. But, you know, what happens when history ch- turns and all of a sudden Kiddush Hashem changes and battle for Jewish identity and for Hashem's presence in this world is no longer a guy coming with a bullet and putting a gun to your head and asking you, you know, worship a vote of Zara, but it's a fight for survival and defending Hashem's presence through our country and defending Hashem's presence by being Jewish. Like, all of a sudden, it's a moving target. And you can't just use the classic halachic terminology because Kiddush Hashem is something you can't quantify as a halacha because Kiddush Hashem is a reality. And the reality 22,000 years later about what's Makad Hashem Shemayim may not be the same reality as it was 2,000 years ago before. Okay. Shukaya Khalika Sameh, everyone.